0: So uh, welcome to Rockbridge Community Church, and we're going to talk about sex and lust in church, which for some of you may be shocking, And but there's a lot about it said in the Bible, and it's interesting this week, you know, we've been telling you we're talking about this, and this week I've heard, you know, a lot of things or thought about a lot of things that you might be thinking, because this is a tough one in, in our society, this is a tough one in our culture, it has to do with our biology, it has to do with the way that God, that God wired our bodies, and, and so, you know, you, I've heard everything from, hey Matt, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for lust, okay? Uh, You know, it's like, that's and that's true for some people. That's part of your story. That's that's part of your deal. I I, I get that. Some of you, you know, it's like you're you're thinking that, man, the happiest I've been in the last 30 days has been a moment of lust, and that's fair. That's fair, and and I get that. Probably my favorite one is I was talking to a good friend of mine. He's a senior adult, and he says, Matt, this is one I don't think I have to worry about anymore. Um, And We'll talk about maybe why, why he's wrong. But honestly, this is a sin that, uh, that I struggle with. You've heard me, if you've been here for a while, know that I, and I'm going to say have a struggle with pornography because I think it's important for us to uh, never think we've arrived and, and never think that we uh, you know, can lay down the armor of God and not resist and not fight these things. So we're going to talk frankly and transparently about lust and about sex. Uh, And I think it's important for you to hear our staff kind of give a testimony that we're strugglers too. There's nobody here that's better than anybody else. There's nobody here that doesn't need the blood of Jesus. There's nobody here that doesn't struggle with sin. And, and I am the pastor, but I am far from perfect, and I'm a sinner. I'm a luster. I'm a struggler uh, in this. And I just want you to hear that because it's so important that we're just honest with ourselves. It's honest with our, with our if we're married, with our, with our spouses, with our kids, as they're coming up in a very, very sexualized culture. But let me say this about sex and sexuality. Sex and sexuality are spiritual blessings. Uh, God created sex, okay? Hollywood did not create sex. Cosmopolitan did not create sex, okay? I am pretty sure in the garden when God said, Adam, you and Eve be fruitful and multiply, he didn't you know, see them go behind the bush and say, what are you doing? He designed it that way. He designed male and female to fit together physically, emotionally, and spiritually to accomplish a mission and and sex is part of that and and there's blessings that, that come from that. But he also established necessary boundaries for protection. Because don't you protect what you value? That's what our culture is telling us is not valid anymore. That there should be no protections around human sexuality or no protections around sex. You would never not protect your kids, not protect your dog, not protect your valuables, your money. That's why we have banks, that's why we have fences, that's why we have rules. So, because this is so intimate and so potent and so powerful, there are boundaries for that protection. So when we talk about the, the deadly sin, and the church has been calling lust a deadly sin since about the 4th century. So we're almost 2,000 years of, of calling lust a deadly dead, a sin. When we talk about lust, we're talking about a disordering of God's blessing. So here's the definition of lust. It is disordered pursuit of physical pleasure, generally of a sexual connotation. So disordered, sometimes it's damaged. Because there are people who are deviants when it comes to sexuality. There are people who do very harmful, damaging, uh, incredibly violent things in in the name of lust or in the name of sex. And we don't have to be too graphic because you know exactly what I'm talking about. But it's just disordered pursuit of physical pleasure. And it's important that that we kind of realize that and that we kind of accept that. And, And let me just, I'll be honest with you, the church is very ineffective at giving us a reason why it's bad and much less an effective battle strategy. So ineffective battle strategies that we can talk about uh, is is let's make people feel guilty. Let's let's shame men and tell men and women to dress more modestly. Hey, just take a bunch of cold showers, avoid the mall. Don't go past Victoria's Secret without blinders on. I mean, we've said all those kinds of things. Uh, Another problem we have in the church is we don't talk about it. All right, and I mean, you know, we, some of us grew up here, and it's like, you know, the, the, the thought of your pastor talking about sex was like the thought of your parents doing sex, you know? It was, like, Ugh! You know, it was kind of grody, and, uh, but <clears throat> I've lost you on that, right? <laughs> I apologize. Zoom back in here, zoom back in here. I mean, there's a whole book of the Bible that is very sensual. It's called Song of Solomon. We're not going to preach on it tonight. Um, but, but we just need to own it. So the church has given some very ineffective battle strategies. So here's what's important for us to realize as we start our conversation, okay? Is that the main sex organ in the human body is this right here. This is the main sexual organ, okay? Surely you didn't think I was going to show something else, okay? No. All right? I told you PG-13, all right? So here, I need you to hear me, okay? Before lust is a problem between your legs, it's a problem between your ears. Okay? Very important. Very important. That is a problem or an issue with how you think before how you feel biologically. Okay? It's very important. So what we're going to do is we're going to be in the book of the Bible called 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. And because I want to challenge you to... Go back and throw that picture back up here just so we <laughs> make sure we got it. But, but, but I'm going to challenge you to use this brain, use this organ. And I'm going to give you, through God's Word, five questions just for you to think about when it comes to this issue of disordered pursuit of physical pleasure, generally of a sexual nature that we call lust. That we're going to just give you five questions, talk about them in your small groups, talk about with, in, with your kids, whatever. But we want to just use this... Here to understand and get our brains around it. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the apostle Paul begins and he says this, additionally then brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus. So there's some coaching going on here that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God. So now he's talking to Christ followers who have this goal and their goal is to please God. And, and listen, this is where the church is, in, is in, in really in a crisis mode because there seems to be a contradiction, listen, between pleasing God and pleasing your biology. Okay, And and so when it comes to pleasing God and pleasing your biology, it's like, what do we do? And so we're just saying now there's nothing wrong with it. If it feels good, do it, because lust has to do with pleasure. And our culture is saying, hey, you should be pursuing pleasure. Well, we're saying pursue pleasure with God. So the church seems repressive. The church seems old school. The church seems out of date. There's psychologists who are saying, hey, the worst thing you can do is suppress and repress your biology and how God wired you. So the church has this conflict here, and we just need to acknowledge it. But in this, Paul is saying, hey, we, there's a way you should live, there's a way you can live for the pleasure of God. And he says, as you are doing. But then he says, do this even more. So there's something more that Paul wants the church to walk in and to enjoy and to experience. Now, what is the more? Here we go. For we know, for you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And, and all of some of you. You know, maybe you're not a Christian or you're new to church, and this word right here is why you left the church. And this word right here is why you hate Christianity or are nervous about rules and being commanded to do something, and and how can pleasure and how can good come from being commanded. So you got to just kind of wrestle with that. So we want you to know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is God's will. And, And many, many of you have said, God, what is your will for my life? What do you want my life to be? And right here, we get the absolute clearest answer anywhere in Scripture. And look what he says. This is God's will, your sanctification. I'll explain that in a minute. That you keep away from sexual immorality. And all God's people said, rats. (laughs) Because that's like, whoa. I mean, he's just right out, double barrel shotgun, boom. boom, boom, And attacks, maybe our biology, maybe the only fun we've had in the last 30 days. And what do you do with that? And that's what we want to wrestle with. And I just want you to feel the tension in these verses. And we need to feel them in our 21st century post-sexual revolution context. You know, the sexual revolution was uh, sex is okay outside of marriage. We had the pill. We had abortion so we could have sex without consequences. So sex is okay. Post-sexual revolution means we're not even asking the question anymore. We're not even talking about it. It's just assumed. Boys will be boys. Girls will be girls. And and once you're of age, you'll just be safe, be consensual, and that's good, right? That's all we're saying. So we're right in, the, we're in this tension here. The Bible, when it says something like this, can seem rather uh, antiquated and, and rather old school and rather out of date. Now, this word here is key, sanctification. This word sanctification is this progressive, by, over time process that a Christ follower goes from being a slave to his or her sin to being more and more like Jesus in how they live, how they walk, and how they please God. It never, ever happens instantaneously. That's why I tell you when you become a Christian, it's about a new direction, not instantaneous perfection. Okay? It's why I tell you you got to start somewhere and God progressively is going to set you apart, which is what sanctify means, or progressively change you to be more like Jesus. Okay. And what's what's interesting about this is the way Paul presents this is he says, hey, God wants more for you. And his commands are part of that more. Your sanctification is part of that more. And abstaining or keeping away from sexual immorality is part of that more. So the first question I need us to wrestle with is this. Do I really believe that God wants more and that God wants what's best for me? And and, and so you've got to put sex in that question. Because your culture, your society, your biology is probably speaking to you or or your mind is speaking to you and saying, well, if, if, if God wants what's best then sex feels best or lust feels best. And so you, you kind of you got this battle. But you have to ask yourself, do I really believe that God wants more for me and God wants what's best for me? Because if you don't believe that, then the, the path to, to, to alcoholism, the path to, to sex, the path to lust, the path to adultery is wide open. It doesn't even have to be lust. It's the path to anything that's sinful is wide open. If you think your God is holding off on you and your God is anti happy and anti-pleasure and anti-joy, and I'm here to tell you he's anything but that, okay? You just may not believe me, and, and that's the struggle. That's why it's up here between your ears first. Do I really believe? So when you read a command like flee from, abstain from, sexual immorality, your biology's saying something, your society's saying something, your culture's saying something, but your God is saying something, and who you're going to believe? So that's the first question, and then let's give you a couple of subparts to the question, all right? Now, do I really believe that God has provided the resources to move forward? Because here's where a lot of people are, and and I'm going to speak to men especially, although please don't believe the lie that only men lust, okay? There's a whole trilogy of movies that came out to help you ladies on that one, right? And if they didn't make them because they didn't make money, hello, Fifty Shades, right? Okay, so just... So it's not just a male problem, okay? All right. Anyway, we'll, more on that later. All right. So here's here's what I hear from guys. Okay, I've tried everything. I just I can't beat this. And and I I just think and either, so they either they give up or they waller in guilt or they become unbelievers. So. If we're going to move forward, you have to believe something. I didn't say feel something. I said believe something. I did not say feel something. I said believe something. That's why I hear here. It's between your ears, it's between your legs. Okay, listen. Do you believe that God in the gospel of Jesus Christ has provided what you need to move forward in sanctification and to enjoy God's best for you? And let's just be honest. Some of us would say no. So I'm going to ask you a second question. What does the cross say? And let me tell you why that's important. Some of us grew up and all we heard about was the cross was for our payment of sins and forgiveness of sins. And that's the only benefit that comes from the cross. So I want to ask you a, a, a question. Do you think Jesus went through hell on earth in his physical body, his mental state? Do you think he went through all of that because he didn't know what's best for us? Because he didn't want what's best for us. And what's best for us is greater than forgiveness and pardon of sin. Because let me tell you real re- the, the big reason why Jesus died for you. 1 Peter 3.18 Christ suffered for for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. Jesus died to bring you to God. He died for more than your forgiveness. He died more than just to pay the penalty. He died to bring us to God. And so in the the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, in the gospel of Jesus, He has provided the resources to take sinful, broken, rebellious, lustful, prideful people and move us progressively closer to God until one day we will literally stand face to face with our Creator and Redeemer and we will be in His presence without shame. And there's three ways or three words that we want to remember to understand how this happens. Okay? Three words justification, sanctification, and glorification. So let me explain this, okay? Justification is God declaring you not guilty of your sins, it's a legal accomplishment of the cross that God judged Jesus instead of you, instead of me, so he could declare us. Just as if we never ever sinned. So it's a legal declaration that happens when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. You go from being guilty and hell bound to being now legally not guilty. And thus God can move you into adoption and move you into his forever family. But there's another part of salvation, and we've been talking about it a little bit, called sanctification, which has to do with how you live. And so God legally adopts you, and then you start learning to live as a son or a daughter of the family of God. Just when I adopted my boys, there was an illegal act from a judge in Ethiopia and then a judge here in America that declared Beth and I, their, their moms and dads, legally. But they didn't know how to live in our family yet. So there was a process of becoming an Evans. There's a process of learning to live as a Christ follower. Okay? And so that's whether you you were a cusser and you were a swindler to where you progressively become better, you know, and more like Jesus in those areas. And then there's a third process or third thing called glorification, which is when your body and your character are perfected. And that's the second coming or, or heaven, and so it's glorification. Now, here's what we sometimes do as Christ followers, or sometimes what keeps us out of heaven is we just want to draw a line through this part right here. And everybody wants to, have, wants to be declared not guilty, and we don't, we don't want the guilt, we don't want the shame. And who doesn't want glorious perfection for eternity? But it's this, I, I don't know that I want to live uh, as a Christ follower, I don't know that this part is necessary. And so the cross, though, teaches us that God paid for our justification to declare us legally not guilty. The cross also, and the faith in the cross and the faith in Christ, is satisfying so that we start to want to live as a son or a daughter, and then we look to the future with hope and our glorification. And you have to see lust and sexuality as part of this work of God. Let me read you a verse from 1 Corinthians 6. It's very challenging. Verse 9. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, <coughs> or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom, God's kingdom. Now, we could stop right there, which is what those people that hold placards up outside football stadiums do. And it's an atrocious way to present Jesus to people. Because they're leaving out the best part. That's bad news. There's good news. Listen to the good news. Some of you used to be like this. Well, what happened to them? Glad you asked. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You You learned how to live differently. You were justified legally in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Your sexuality is part of that, but if you and I are not redeemed by Jesus, your sexuality will send you to hell. Your lust will send you to hell. Your idolatry will send you to hell. You'll miss the whole shooting match for eternity without what? Justification, sanctification, glorification, or salvation. So you got to see the picture of that. Now, Jesus is even more potent And Paul, listen to Jesus' words. Same concept. Here's what he says. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh Uh-oh. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. So why aren't there a bunch of one-eyed men in the room, right? (laughs) Some of you would be blind. All right. For it is better, and so this is one of the examples where you don't have to take Jesus literally, but you got to understand his meaning. Listen, for it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So let me say it again hell is at stake in your lust. And what's he calling us to do? Fight it. Fight it. Fight it. And that's what these are fighter verses. Look, he's like, look, your salvation means more than your right eye or your left eye. That's what he's saying. Fight it. That's sanctification I'm fighting these things because I've found someone better. So, so understand this nobody really does an act of lust and they're acting against their self interest. So let me hold my thought, okay? When you engage in lust, there's something telling you this is good for you. There's something telling you this will bring pleasure to you. And that's part true. There is some physical pleasure, right? That's partially true. But what you have to understand is there's a difference that you need to understand. There's a difference between your imagined self-interest and enlightened self-interest. Okay? So, so the teenage boy that grabs a porn magazine and goes to the bathroom, that's imagined self-interest. Okay? The businessman that goes on a business trip and meets the lady in the bar, and they're in the hotel room, and nobody will find out, and nobody will know for that 12-hour period or 8-hour period or whatever period, that's in their self-interest. Imagine that's pleasurable, right? It feels good. You forget about certain things. I mean, it's that powerful. I get it, okay? But there's enlightened self-interest. And what Jesus is trying to do with his statement that's a gut punch is wake us up. And say, would you trade 12 minutes or 12 hours of pleasure for your soul? So he's trying to get us to act in enlightened self-interest. So a person that is progressively defeating lust is realizing that lust affects his or her relationship with God. Okay? So that's the, that's the question that we're wrestling with. Let's continue. Paul says in verse 4 keep away from sexual immorality, just to summarize, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. Now, look what he says. So powerful. Control your body. Now, now what do we live in? We live in a world that says your body is king. Do what your body says. If it feels good, do it. Don't deny your biology. If your body says this, go there. If it tastes good, eat more of it. If it feels good, do more of it. That's that's what the world is telling us day in and day out. Worship your body. uh, Make make much of your body and let your body lead you. Okay? Jesus says, no, you got to, or Paul says, you got to learn how to control your body because of these lustful passions. And then he says, don't be like a Gentile who don't know God. So there's something about knowing God that that trumps the body's power over. So here's the question. Wrestle with this in between our ears. Who or what is ultimate? Who or what is ultimate? It's a great question to ask. Because, because here's the culture that we're living in. Here's the culture our kids are being raised in. Body and biology, or God and theology? And what we've done is say, God's out of date, the Bible's wrong on these, these four, five, six, ten verses. And don't deny your body, don't deny your biology. God says these two things go together because your God created your biology, your God created your body. He created it for pleasure. He just puts boundaries around it for your blessing and to preserve and protect. But, but this is the debate. And, and so but look at what our culture's saying. Hey, take God out of the picture. And so sex and lust are only physical. Okay, let me tell you why that's wrong for two reasons. If you're a dad and you have a daughter... How does the thought of another man lusting after your daughter make you feel? Exactly. Okay? If sex is only physical, if sex is only physical, then when a woman is raped, why don't we just put a Band-Aid on her and say, hey, you'll be okay in the morning? But, but listen, our bodies and our souls are more connected than you realize. There is a psychosomatic connection. You are a soul with a body, not a body. Your body wears out, your soul doesn't. But your body affects your soul, your soul affects your body. And you know this. How many of you have gotten stressed out by something at work and you've thrown up or gotten nervous or or a sick feeling in your stomach? Now, why does that happen to us? Because there's a connection between mental and soul and heart and physical attributes. Paul will even say this to the church at Corinth. They were taking the Lord's Supper wrong, a spiritual act. Some of them were taking it inappropriately, and they died. Spiritual, physical, theological, biological, there's a relation to that. And there's a great quote I heard from someone I'm not even sure was a Christ follower that captures this from General George Patton, World War II tank commander in Europe. Now, if you are going to win any battle, now he's talking about militarily the war, but I'm going to talk about the spiritual, you have to do one thing. You have to make the mind run the body. Never let the body tell the mind what to do. Where did I say the battle was? Before, not between your legs, between your ears. It's in your brain. That's how we think. Who or what is ultimate. Now, there's, a, there's another part of this that's powerful. And we alluded to that when Paul said, like the Gentiles who don't know God, lust, and this is going to shock y'all, lust is actually fought with desire. Lust is fought with desire. It is a desire. But it's fought with desire. It's fought with... Lust is a pleasure, a disordered or damaged pursuit of physical pleasure in in a sexual way. Okay, that's what lust is. There are pleasures that we believe are better than lustful pleasures. It's fought desire for desire. Like you used to like being single and then you had a desire to be married and your desire to be married was greater than your desire to be single. You used to like eating Krispy Kreme donuts all the time and then your desire to lose weight and take better care of your body trumped your desire to eat Krispy Kreme donuts. You started dieting, you started exercising. Listen to how Jesus presents this. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. That was a desire I found something worth selling everything for. So when you find Christ, see Christ as pleasurable, beautiful, and you desire to know God. That's what Paul said last time we did, the Gentiles don't know God. Paul said knowing God helps you start to control the desires of your body. So one way you defeat lust is you realize lust competes with my walk and my knowledge of God. Okay? Now, there's another question we've got to ask. Because lust has another component. And Paul goes to it in verse 6. He says this This means, a lot of all we said, one must not transgress against and take advantage or cheat another brother or sister in this manner. Well, what manner? The manner of lust, the manner of sexual immorality. So, lust, there's a third question we need to ask How do I see other people? How do I see other people? And what Paul is getting at here is when we view other people through the lens of physical pleasure, through the lens of lust, outside of the confines or the protection and the blessing of marriage, then we are seeing other people as an object or as a commodity. So, So look at it this way. Lust says this, a person is an object to be used temporarily. A person's body is my physical amusement park. Or my mental one, as I fantasize about being with him or her. Love a person is a soul to be cherished eternally. Now let's just stop the music for a second. Most women have this desire, I and mean it's biblical. We see it in Song of Solomon to be romanced. Which one of these is more attractive? Yet you know what you'll do, some of you ladies you'll give in to a man's lust to try to get him to love you. Doesn't work that way. Never does. Never does. Never does. Another distinction. How do I see other people? Lust says emotion and impulse is about emotion and impulse without commitment. I can leave in the morning. I can put the magazine away. They're just an image on a screen or an image on a piece of paper. Well, they're someone's son and daughter And they're made by God, but that's another subject. Love is emotion plus faithfulness and endurance of a covenant. Do you know why God says marriage or sex only belongs in marriage? And and that's so old school. I get it. I get it. But, But really, God knows a lot better than we think he does sometimes. Okay, let me tell you why God only wants you to have sex to your spouse of the opposite sex. Let me clarify that for the 21st century. Man and woman. Here's why he does it. Because God knows emotion and impulse do not create safety and stability. Emotion and impulse do not create safety and stability. You are not safe and stable if he can get up and leave the next morning. That's why it's more than physical. So God says, and it's the same thing for our Christianity, you have this powerful worship experience, or you give your life to Jesus one night in a fury of emotion and impulse, and you've forgotten about God the next day. So God wants covenant. That's why you stand in a legally binding ceremony and get married. Because what does the legally public binding ceremony do it do? It binds us with commitment to one another. What does God do when you become a Christ follower? He says, go public, get baptized, go public with your church and take the Lord's Supper regularly to remind yourself of the commitment of the covenant that is emotional at times, but is also about faithfulness and endurance. That's why sex is designed to function and prosper only in the covenant and the commitment of marriage. When you take it out of that and make it only about emotion and impulse, there's no stability, there's no safety there. That's the big difference between love and lust. And in lust, you see another person as just an object, a commodity to be used, and discard. Verse 6 continues. Because this is powerful. Listen to what God says. So if you, if you see, and this goes back to 1 Corinthians, goes back to Jesus, if, if lust is ruling you, listen, the Lord is an avenger of these offenses. The Lord will get justice. So we also previously told you and warned you. So let me say this. Your lust is either taken care of by Jesus on the cross or God takes care of your lust in the justice of hell. For God, and this is powerful, has not called us to impurity but to sanctification God has called us to something higher, something more, first question, something better, to be progressively made more like Jesus, which is how and who we were created to be like. And there's pleasure in that, and faithfulness in that, and stability in that, and that's how you were created to exist, okay? Think about a baseball bat. A baseball bat was created for one thing. We've perverted it, and now people will use baseball bats for weapons and for vandalism and to damage things, okay? Your sexuality and your body was created to glorify God, to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we've perverted it and prostituted it out and made it a commodity and an amusement park instead of a temple of God. Okay? So that's what he's talking to us about. And so I want us to understand something. This is a fourth question and one of the most powerful questions we could ask. Do I understand my calling or have I accepted my calling? See, listen, when God calls you to become a Christ follower, when the Spirit of God just sets that thing off in your soul, when God shines and shows you the beauty of Jesus, when you're walking along looking for something, looking for something, and boom, there's that priceless pearl, which is Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and raised. You're like, I have to have Christ. When that goes off in your soul, Okay, God is calling you to more than escape hell. God is calling you to more than I just believe some facts about God. He is calling you to himself, for himself, to be his son or daughter, to be one of his chosen instruments, to live out his glory and extend and seek his kingdom on this earth. That's a high and holy calling. You guys that are football fans... If your team, and the star quarterback of your team, if you walk in to a restaurant or a bar, and he's just getting a, you know, Saturday night or Friday night before the game, and he's just pouring down alcohol, pouring down drinks, and somebody brings him two dozen Krispy Kreme donuts, you're like, what are you going to do? What are you doing? We're going to lose the game. God did not create you to gorge yourself on sexual immorality and lust. You have a calling. You have a calling, it's holy, it's eternal, it's glorious when you see it and when you accept it. Now, now the converse is this. Satan uses lust. And here's how he uses lust. Nothing wrong with it. Nobody will get hurt. If it feels good, do it. Okay? God is old school. God's not real. God's not right on this one. No, you know, you're consensual adults, or nobody's getting it's you, your computer, and you're alone. No big deal. So then you commit lust or act it out, and then Satan uses guilt and shame. So Satan tempts you with this, and then once you commit this, you feel dirty, you feel ashamed until you cauterize your conscience. And if you're here today and your your conscience is cauterized, and this doesn't bother you, you need to be aware of your soul. I say that because I love you, okay? And I'm a luster, okay? I'm I'm fighting. If you're not fighting, if you are not fighting, we got to talk about your soul. You please see your campus pastor afterwards, okay? It's too serious, too serious, okay? So Satan will use lust, and then he'll use guilt and shame. And you know what he'll use guilt and shame? He'll use guilt and shame to keep you Christians on the sidelines, so you'll say, I can't volunteer, I can't serve, I can't go on a mission trip, I can't be used from God because I gave in to lust, and now I feel so guilty and feel so ashamed. That's where you got to go to the cross and let Jesus be the avenger of your lust on his, in his death on your behalf. And then the last thing Paul says before he ties the knot on this, he sa- on this thought, he says, consequently, anyone who rejects this, this whole thing about sanctification from sexual immorality, does not reject man... It's not just about you and her, or you and that image, or you and that website, or you and that magazine, or you and that lady across the room at the office that you keep looking at lustfully. It's not just about you and them, but you reject God who gives you His Holy Spirit. And this is the final question for you to think about between your ears. Do I believe God rewards purity? See, part of the reason we give in to lust is this word right here. I'm going to abbreviate it. F-O-M-O. Fear of missing out. I don't want to miss out. Remember that word glorification? There is an inheritance ahead of us if we're called and we accept the calling to Christ. That is so much better than lust. Lust that is so much better than a one-night stand, that is so much better than a 30-second physical, whoo, right? So much better. And God rewards that. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart. What do he say? For they shall see God. So I want to say this. Lust costs me God. Lust costs me God. And if God is the priceless pearl, if God is the one I was created in His image to worship, to glorify, to serve, to be in His family, and lust costs me God, then I must fight lust and then praise God. Because even though lust costs me God, God still pursues me. You know why? Because God is a jealous, good kind, lover. And his love is reckless and his love is passionate and his love is eternal. Would you let his love touch your soul no matter where you are in this fight, in this struggle? Would you let the reckless love of God touch you and perhaps change you and show you that there is nothing better, nothing better than being a son, a daughter of the Most High God? Let's pray together. God, I pray you've helped us think today. I pray you've helped us think and love you with our minds. And God, as we battle this this issue that's so prevalent in our culture, and it's like you can't even go to a mall, God, or to a grocery store without just being tempted and enticed. But God, these questions remind us that you are better and that you want better for us. God, these questions remind us that that we are made for more than just and simply physical pleasures. We're made for spiritual and eternal ones. God, I just want to pray for everybody here, wherever they are, that they would be loved by you in this moment, as they are, God, imperfect and all. That they would just be loved by you, Holy Spirit, that you would give people the eyes and the spiritual perception to perceive Jesus as that priceless pearl worth selling, abandoning everything to have even our current sexual practices. God, that we would see Christ as glorious and beautiful, that we would see Christ crucified, buried, and raised as the one we were made to follow, and that, God, some people here may be ready to follow Jesus for the first time. You make that clear to them, Holy Spirit, as we celebrate your love for us, that even while we were sinners, Jesus, you loved us, Jesus, you died for us, Jesus, you rose for our justification Jesus, you rose for our sanctification. Jesus, you rose for our future glorification. And that's what we look forward to and long for today. God bless your people. Love your people. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.